Amen. There is another uh, Marked Men weekend coming up, and uh, you know, it's a life-changing opportunity for you to be able to go to find out exactly what you know, Jesus has for you. It's May the 5th, 6th, and 7th here in the area up in Ogden. You can see Brother Ray. Ray, will you raise your hand? This is Ray. Ray is one of the leaders. He's one of those who directs and helps to facilitate and uh, would love to give you whatever information you need. There's some flyers in the back if you'd like to take a look. Again, it's, a, it's, it's for those who are serious about changing your life, being delivered from some of the obstacles and the hindrances that this world has and getting yourself set on a path of following Christ. So again, I can't encourage you enough. I, I again, have heard Ray's testimony. I got to sit and have breakfast yesterday with with Ken, I don't know if he's still here or not. Yep, there he is back there. Um, and and he, went through, he went through in Florida one of these weekends and um, again, just had a wonderful testimony, even as a, somebody who's been a believer for a long time, to go through and just to see God at work and doing what God and only God can do. Amazing. So please, if you need that or would like that or if you're just, you know, if you're interested, talk to Ray, get some information. I want to um, today uh, go into finishing up in Luke chapter 7, uh, looking at verses 36 through 50. Uh, we've got a lot of things coming up, and so I want to get through this. I, I also you know, want to say, if, if this is kind of a, a, a cap on last weekend, so please, you know, to pull it all together, you know, you'll want to hear both, so make sure, go back, look at that, read through, or listen to that. You can find it on our website, Facebook page. Um, if, if you really want to find it, you can find it. So go look and see, because I want to wrap this up. I'm going to start, I'm going to read through all of this and give us some context as to what we just briefly went through last week, and then we'll move into what God has for us this week. Are you ready to receive something from God today? Amen. Amon, are you ready to receive something from God today? I believe he wants to speak to your heart. I believe he wants to minister in your life. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you have been through in life, I believe that God has an example. He has something in his word right now that he wants to minister to you. And the question for us, and I ask you this all the time, are we ready? Are we willing? Do we have a desire to receive? So let's open up his word. In verse 36. So again, one of the Pharisees, now we're talking about the, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of that day. So one of the religious leaders of the day asks him, Jesus, asks him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. So right off the bat, we had just gotten done in the section of scripture before this. We see where Jesus, he had been invited by sinners. He had been invited by tax collectors and prostitutes to come and to have a meal with them. And Jesus had accepted their invitation. Now we see Jesus being asked by the religious leaders to come have dinner with them, and Jesus accepts their invitation as well. I just thought, Jesus is such an equal opportunity diner, isn't he? <laughs> Verse 37, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So this woman, she heard somehow that Jesus was there. Jesus was at the Pharisee's eating dinner. And so she's like, I got to go there. I got to go home. She went and got whatever. I, I don't, we don't know why she grabbed the alabaster flask. I think that it was because it was the most valuable thing she had. And so she grabs this alabaster flask and she heads to the Pharisee's house. She gets there, totally inappropriate thing for her to do, but she comes in to this meeting with all of these men that are there. And then she comes in, she's standing behind Jesus at his feet, verse 38, and she's weeping. So she draws closer to Jesus. The closer we get to Jesus, the more conscious of our sin we become. Look, if you don't have any consciousness of your sin, it can only be because you're not very close to Jesus. When you get close to Jesus, you're going to find that you're conscious of your sin, how holy he is, how unholy we are, how, how unequally yoked we are with him when we start drawing near to him. Praise God, though, for the rest of the story where he does what we can't. So she's standing behind him and she begins to weep and she begins to wet his feet. These are these heart tears, they're flowing. These tears are falling down on Jesus' feet and she, wipe, she, the, she wets his feet and then wiped them with her hair of her head. She took what, what Paul says is the glory of a woman and her hair and uses the glory that God had given her to clean the feet of Jesus. 
and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So she started serving Jesus in a way that Simon the Pharisee would not serve Jesus. Verse 39, and when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, again, speaking under his breath, he didn't want anybody to hear him. He says, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answers, (laughs) don't you hate that when you don't think somebody hears you and they hear you? He didn't hear. I think Jesus just knew. It was this place he just knew. Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, say it, teacher. He has no idea what's coming. And Jesus tells this parable. Again, I think one of the simplest, most beautiful parables, this story that that has a meaning. And he says this, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Okay, not, this is not rocket science here. This is not, you know, like deep theological stuff. This is a simple illustration that he gives. And Simon, even Simon answers, and he answers and says, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet. Thank you, Lord, that you have something in this that you desire for each person here. And I pray, Lord God, that from my mouth to their ears, you would take and transform those words to minister to every life right where they are, right where they need you. And I pray that you draw all men to yourself. We thank you for that today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus kind of gives this little dig to this guy, these, you know, to Simon here, and, and he's making a point with this story. And then Jesus continues. Verse 44, this is where we'll move into for today. Then Jesus turned towards the woman. And again, you, you know, looking at this whole thing, you need to see this. And, I, and one of the things that I want you to do is to be able to put yourself in this woman's place. My objective today is for you to fall in love with this woman is for you to fall in love with this prostitute, with this whore. Use the word. Get used to it. I want you to feel her feelings. I want you to feel the pain that she's going through. I want you to be able to put yourself in this place because this is important for us. And this is why God gives us this. Now, you know, again, I told you last week, they were sitting around this table, and they're all there. They're laying down. They're lounging. Their feet are out. She's at Jesus' feet, and Simon is somewhere else sitting at the table somewhere, probably off to the side somewhere. And so the woman, she's there. She's at his feet. She's weeping. His tears are falling on his feet, and and, and I love this. This woman has not said a single word. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing has come from her mouth. She doesn't say anything. She hasn't really talked to Jesus. She's engaged with him, but she has not engaged at all with the religious people. Come on, amen? Amen. All she cares about is Jesus. That's all she cares about. All she wants to do is come to Jesus. All she wants to do, I, I, I don't even know if she really understands why this is going on. All she wants to do is just to come to Jesus. She just wants to be there with Jesus. And Jesus is going to do something absolutely amazing for this woman, for this prostitute that's come into this meeting of men that is totally inappropriate. And she comes in and she comes to Jesus. She's totally just, all she cares about is Jesus. And Jesus is going to defend her honor. And Jesus, in this moment, you got to watch this. He's going to restore, not even restore. He's going to give her something she may have never had in her life. He's going to give her dignity. Come on, there are some of you in this place today. You know what? You know what I'm saying. You just never experienced it. And in your life, you've struggled with this place where you've never had dignity. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to restore that to you today. He wants to speak to your life, and I pray that you'll really pay attention to what he's doing here because what he's doing for her, he's doing for you. 
and I don't know if there's one of you or multiples of you that God is doing something for, that he's going to speak into your life through this lady. And God is going to give you the ability today, and I believe this to be a prophetic word for you, that God is going to give you the ability to put your name where hers is missing. Watch what he does for her. He's, she's behind him. She's at his feet, and, she, and he turns in the Bible. She's, he's looking at her, and he's looking at her, and he's talking to Simon. You know, it's like I'm looking at, I'm looking at Chris, but I'm talking to Trevor. And this is what Jesus is doing. And can't you just see in his eyes the love that he has for this woman? This compassion that he has for this woman? It's just, it's just, it's just oozing from his eyes, from this look. And he's looking at her. And he's got his eyes just absolutely fixed on her. And I, just, I think he's smiling. So he's looking at her. And he's talking to him. And he says, do you see her? Simon, do you see her? You know, sometimes when we look at people through religious eyes, we just don't even see them. We just don't even see who these people are or what they can do. Do you even see her? Because religious people oftentimes just don't see them at all. What religious people will see, and look, there's gonna be some little things in here that you're gonna be able to test yourself. Religious people, when they look at people, all they can do is see people that are already condemned. They, they can see people that are already just, you know, convicted. They're convicted in your heart. They're convicted in your mind. There's, no, oh, man, that person, they're never going to do that. They're, they're disgusting. They're shameful. Do you know what we really come back to as religious people? They're not like me. When we look at people through religious eyes, you don't see them as image bearers in the likeness of God. We don't see them as people who need love, people who need the grace of God in their life. We, we don't see them as people that are redeemable, people who need to know that their debts can be canceled, people whose lives can be transformed. We don't see them that way. And I want you to see this because right now, this woman, she's weeping at the feet of Jesus. And right now, I don't know what everyone else is doing, but I do know this, that Jesus and Simon are both looking at her. Both of them. That's probably your phone, Joni. <laughs> it's okay. So both these men, they're, they're looking at her. And I want you to see that Jesus sees this woman in a way that Simon does not. You see, Jesus, he's looking at this woman and he sees this woman through the eyes of love. Simon sees this woman through the eyes of religion. And there's a big difference. Simon... Do you even see her? Because Jesus said, because Simon, I do. Look, again, this is for somebody. Jesus sees you. You may feel invisible and you may feel ignored and you may feel like what has happened in your life is completely inexcusable. You know what? Jesus says, I see you. I see you. Simon, do you see her? Please, church, hear what he's saying here. He's saying, I see you. You know what Simon's saying? Oh, yeah, I see her. And she's a disgusting sinner. She's a whore. I see her. Of course I do. And Jesus is saying, you know what, Simon? You can tell by the reaction. You know what, Simon? Obviously, she already knows that. She doesn't need another lecture about the sin in her life. She already sees it. Simon, do you see her? She is already broken. She is weeping. These heart tears are cleansing her. She's drawing near to me. Don't you, Simon, don't you see her? 
Holy Spirit has already broken down her resistance and she's coming to him. She can't stop crying. Listen, some of you, even today, know exactly where she's at. She's done with her life as she's known it. I'm done living this way. I need to change. I want this transformation. I can't do it. I don't know how. There is no way out. Jesus, I need you. I need Jesus. She needs help. She needs a Savior. Simon, do you see her? Are you taking notice of her? I love this. Jesus, man, you know, the only people that Jesus is really kind of stern and, and <laughs> rebukes is the religious people. But I also want you to hear this, that Jesus always is compassionate for the repentant sinner that's just looking to draw near to him. He has always got his hands out saying, come to me. Always, always, always. But the church often makes the mistake of wanting to uh, be tolerant and, and, and accommodate the religious people because it seems right. They're the faithful, right? I mean, they're the ones that this and that. But the truth is, is that we can sometimes then be dismissive and mean-spirited. And we can act unloving towards those who are sinners and they come to the church and they've got no idea why they've come to the church. This woman had no idea what she was going to this house for. She didn't know what was going to happen. And God draws people that need Jesus and they don't know why they're coming to church. There's just something that happened. You know what? I got up today. Some of you may have found this. I got up today and I'm just going to church today. I don't know why. I don't really like church. I don't really know what I need at church. I don't really understand what I'm going to get from church. But all of a sudden, I'm sitting here and this crazy guy's yelling at us. God draws people in. Yes, and when we see them through religious eyes, we'll ignore them. We'll dismiss them. There's no love for them. There's no compassion for them. There's no heart for them. There's no invitation to them. We need to be those who are willing to reach out. Listen. Also, again... I want you to understand, you know, <laughs> we want to be like Jesus, not like Simon, but that means that we have to be willing to contend with religious people and be open and inviting to sinners in our, into, into our church setting. We have to be open. I mean, they're the ones who need it. And, and again, please, not because, I, and, and we have to see this is extremely important, not because we hate religious people. It's because we hate what religious people can do to the church. But look, religious people, religious people need to see they're sinners too. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Religious people need to know they need the grace of God in their life as well. Religious people need to know they're indebted to God just like this woman, this prostitute, this whore. And in every situation, in every scenario, religious people need to know Jesus is always the hero and we are not. He's always the answer. Always. But religious people, they have a hard time. You know, they don't see through the lens of compassion and, and, and love and grace. Hope. Simon, do you see this woman? Look at her, Simon. Who cares about your dinner party? Come on, some of us, we're so consumed with what's going on around us, we're more concerned with the dinner party than those that God brings to the dinner party. We're more consumed with the order of how church goes and who does what and this and that and all these other things. We're sort of consumed with some of those things than we are who God's drawing to the dinner table. This woman is being drawn to the dinner table. Simon, she needs a Savior. Don't you know why I'm here? Don't you understand who I am? Don't you see her, Simon? Don't you see her? And I, 
I think, you know, again, I'll talk about this, but I think there's this place where Jesus is saying, Simon, don't you see her? Don't you see what an amazing example she is? Come on, look at this. This is the goodness of God. Only God could do something like this. Only God. Verse 44. He says, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from, and again, these were customary, these were courteous greetings that you gave to people. They, did, they, weren't, even, they weren't even willing to be courteous to Jesus. He didn't give any of these things. But from the time I came in, listen, what he's doing here, this, this is so cool. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Jesus says, Simon, she's a worshiper. You're not. Simon, she's repentant. You won't. Simon, she's a giver. You won't be generous. She's serving me. You refuse to. Simon, just because you're a holy man, just because you're part of the religious club, does not mean that you have anything to teach her. Simon, I want you to look at her because she's an example for how you should be. She's an example. In fact, this whore, as you call her, Simon, this whore, she should be teaching you some things about how to be loving and humble and repentant and broken and honest and generous and serving and caring and being considerate, being thankful. Jesus is so amazing. This whole situation's going on and Jesus takes this woman off the street, this prostitute, and makes her the example of godly living. Come on, some of you need to see this as a statement of hope. God wants to take your life and everything that's happened in it and to you and through you and by you, and he wants to take and redeem it and make it an example of holy living. She's the example. I, I was trying to think of an illustration, and I'm just going to use this, and, and I could have used a number of religious leaders, but can you imagine Jesus today goes to the Pope's house? And he's going to have dinner with the Pope. And so they're sitting down at the table, and in comes this very well-known porn star. And she walks in, and she's just repentant. She just knows she wants to be forgiven. And Jesus, Jesus says, you know what, Pope? You could learn a lot from this porn star, because she's closer to the kingdom of God than you are. You talk about compassion, but there's no compassion for the unsaved. You talk about peace, but there's no peace between us. You lead nations astray. You don't repent. You don't have faith in me. You don't worship me. This gal, this, this porn star, she gets it, Pope. She gets it. You, Pope, you know what? You should pay attention to her. You should stop trying to teach her some things, and you should let her teach you a couple lessons or two. Because you won't apologize. You won't repent. You won't, you won't change. You don't want a new life. You won't be honest about how far you are from God. But she will. You know what? You're just a deceiver that's deceived. I just think this is just absolutely, this blows my mind. She is now the example. Come on, he redeems in this moment. But also realize, she hasn't even said a word. She's redeemed. These holy religious men, these guys, I, I just picture these guys in these great big hats and phylacteries on their foreheads. And, and I mean, these guys, you know what? They're further from God than a repentant whore. Because the distance, listen, the distance between us and God is repentance. The distance between us and God, it's repentance. It's not good works. It's not spirituality. It's not morality. The distance between us and God is repentance. 
Repent. And we come right back to him. It's repent. This is, again, this is one of the reasons why I know that Christianity is real, that Christianity is true, that it's not a man-made religion, because no one would have thought that up. Who would have ever dreamed that up? Nobody would have. All the other counterfeit religions, they, truthfully, all the other counterfeit religions, they tend to make sense. They do. God loves the good people, doesn't like the bad people. You got the people with the, you know, the people with the black hats on, you got the people with the white hats on, all that, it all makes sense. That's not the way the Bible tells the story. It's not what it says. In fact, the Bible says, and I, and I know you probably don't like this word, but I keep using it on purpose. We're all whores. Jesus is the Savior. We, we have all, we, look, the religious people sometimes are the worst whores of them all. And sometimes, some of you may be upset with me for using that word to describe you. Again, I, I challenge you to do this. I did this, and this is the reason I'm using that word. Look up the definition of it. Okay, just look, do some research. Look up the definition of it. Jesus is the only Savior. He is the only one that's good. And if you're upset with that, it's probably because you're struggling, well, in religious thoughts and attitudes because you can't see it. You can't see who you are or how you are in contrast to a good and loving and perfect God. And I love this. Jesus goes on. He says, he talks, he says, Simon, look at, you know, look at, she's generous and, and she's repentant. She's a worshiper, Simon, and you're not. What about you? What, what are you, not, again, I don't want this, not corporately, I'm talking about just individually. Where, where are you? Have you ever, and again, it's not, well, it can be, have you ever shed a tear over your sin? Have you ever just like been in a place where you were, have fallen to your knees and just said, Jesus, I need you, and you picture yourself at the feet of Jesus just weeping, the tears coming, this place of repentance, falling at your feet like this woman, repenting of who you are, repenting of what you've done, repenting for the sin in your life, repenting. Look, are you generous? This woman, she's an example. She was generous. She took the most valuable thing she had and she put it not on the head, on the feet of Jesus. Are you serving? This woman, from the moment she walked into the presence of Jesus, she just could not stop serving him. It's all she did. It's all she focused on. Look, what have you done in response to what Jesus has done for you? And... and Again, I want to bring this admonition to you that we be careful that when we see Simon, this, this Pharisee, judging this sinner, this, this woman, that we don't begin to judge the religious guy who's judging the sinner and that we become just another kind of judgmental religious person. We have to be careful. How dare you judge this woman? Well, I'm going to judge you for judging this woman. Now, I'm doing exactly what you did. We need to be careful. Listen, we need to be careful as we judge Simon that we don't become Simon. And I also believe this with all my heart, that we also, as those who are born again, those who are saved, those the redeemed, we also have to be willing to acknowledge that there's times that we do become like Simon. I wish it wasn't true, but there's times when I'm religious. You know what? There's times when you're religious. There's times for all of us when we're religious. Times when we are not acting like Jesus. Times, look, when people don't feel attracted to us, they felt, feel judged by us. People aren't convicted of sin. They're condemned. People are, they, they go away from us without hope, without love, without compassion, without any kind of affection and, and, and no kind of invitation. Church, we need to learn from this woman's example. Because again, how many of you today, 
you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you can identify with her? You can identify with what it is that's happened in her life. You know as well as uh, uh, probably maybe nobody else, but you know well that you have done things that are disgusting. That you've been with people that, are, that would make you condemnable. That your life has shameful, embarrassing things. Some of the things that you've done, some of the things that you've said in private are absolutely disgusting and condemnable. And this woman, for every person that's ever felt that way, this woman serves as an example. She serves as an example to every single woman in this place, to every single man in this place, to all of us. She is a wonderful example. Do you know why God put her in the Bible? So she could teach you. She could be a mentor to you so that she could be this example for all, each and every one of us. Look, how about you? Do you give? Do you serve? Where is your passion? Do you ever shed a tear over what you've done? Do you ever bow your knee? The Bible says every tongue shall confess Jesus is Lord. Every knee shall bow before him. Have you ever spent time in repentance at all? And I love this. I do, I get, there's this pervasive attitude that comes across and I get this from people. Well, wait a second. If we're not saved by what we do, then why should any of that matter? Why should I give? Why should I serve? The answer is, is love. It's love. Look, we don't, we don't give, we don't serve to make Jesus love us. We give and we serve because Jesus has already loved us. He loved you before you ever knew him. He loved you enough to give his own life for you. We don't give to make him love us. You cannot, listen, you cannot give to make him love you. And there's nothing you can do to make him stop. It's this unconditional love. What we do is we respond to his unconditional love in our life. Well, again, why should I do anything? Jesus loves me. Aren't we done? Didn't he say at the cross, it is finished? Nothing else to do, right? I mean, come on, that's it. Listen, at the cross, when he said, it is finished, when we come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's not the end, that's the beginning of a relationship. That's the beginning of what we have in an unconditional love relationship with him. I'll take of an example, but can you imagine a wedding day, there's a husband and wife, they're standing at the altar and they're, they're about to give their vows to each other and the man looks at this woman, he looks into her eyes and he says, I love you with all of my heart. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never betray you. I will never turn on you. And no matter what happens in our lives, I will always accept you back. There's nothing you can do to make me not accept you back into my life. And she turns to and says, well, good, then I don't have to do anything. I can go have affairs. Sounds crazy like that, doesn't it? But we do that to God. Again, if that's how you heard that statement, there's something wrong with you. I mean, there really is. If your beloved gives themselves wholeheartedly with an unconditional love and you say, great, now I don't have to do anything. You didn't love them and you don't love them. Your beloved loves you unconditionally and it provokes a love from us towards them. And that's the reason that this woman is responding so passionately because she's loved. Think about this woman. She's never been loved before. And now she's loved by Jesus. She's, she's loved in a way that no man has ever loved her before. Do you know that Jesus loves you in a way that no man or no woman has ever loved you before? This woman, 
She's touched lots of men, but never like this before. Men and women, they, men have spoken before, but never like this before. This is all something so, she is loved. And so she is passionate, and she is broken, and she is free, and she is generous, and she serves because her many sins are forgiven. How about you? How about you? Let me hurry here. Verse 47. Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many. And again, I'm going to stop right here. I want to make a point. Because in all the years of pastoral um, ministry and counseling, I've done this long enough now for, for close to 30 years, meeting with people, dealing with people, dealing with, with women who struggle with promiscuity and doing things that they shouldn't do. I've, I've dealt with it long enough to know this, that in almost every single one of those situations and circumstances, there are contributing factors of abuse and neglect and all sorts of horror stories. And if you took all of the women in the church who have been sexually molested, raped, defiled, things of that nature, we would still have a church full of victims. It, and again, I, I'm, not, that even, I'm not even including in that, which it, it can be, the men. The point is this is an epidemic problem. It's an epidemic problem. We, we have, there's, there's women in the church, there's women that are, have, are addicted to pornography, there's women that have, have worked as strippers in their lives, there's women that are intimate with, <coughs> excuse me, multiple boyfriends, multiple guys, living with different guys simply because they're, they're gonna pay the rent. All kinds of things. And almost every single time when I've had the opportunity to stop to, to counsel and to talk with people, it's, you know what, I, you know, I was at a point in my life where I was abused. I was raped. I ran away from home. I got into situations I didn't know what to do. I ended up on the street. I had to do something. I was addicted to drugs and I, I had to do something to feed my problem. And so often underlying so many of these sexual sins or these stories of contributing factors of abuse and neglect. Look, I was thinking about all of that and looking at this woman. You know, I don't know what her story is. But I wonder, did she have a dad? I don't know. Did her dad abandon them to go out and have an affair and go run off with another woman, leaving them to no other choice but prostitution? I don't know. Was she raped as a young girl and therefore no longer a virgin? So in that culture, nobody would marry her because she wasn't pure? So she had no choice but to be a prostitute, to enter into sexual sin? I don't know. But I realize reading through that, you know, the Bible, the Bible tells us what we need to know. It doesn't tell us what we want to know. And I, for one, can't wait till one day when I get to go to heaven, I want to find this woman and I want to find out, I want to hear her whole story. But church, what I love is that God doesn't tell us the whole story. But what do Jesus does do is that Jesus, he begins to deal with every sin that happened to her. And he begins to deal with every sin that she's committed. He doesn't excuse her sin. He doesn't neglect it. He doesn't like, like shift the blame on it. Verse 47, her sins, which are many. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, no big deal. He doesn't, there's not a place where we just tolerate that. There's, there's not a place, well, who are we to judge? Jesus didn't stop and say, well, she's just simply involved in an alternative lifestyle. <laughs> he didn't. You know what Jesus said? You know what? She's got a lot of sin. 
Her sins are many. I am not going to argue with that. But the question then is, well, but what are we going to do about it? Verse 47, one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture. Those sins, what are we going to do about it? They are forgiven. For she loved much. She loved Jesus much. Jesus loved her much, so she loved Jesus much. And that's where life's going to change. Church, when you know how much Jesus loves you, when you have revelation in your heart to how much Jesus loves you and you begin to love him back, that's when your life begins to change. It begins to be transformed. You begin to be passionate. You begin to be generous. You begin to be willing to do whatever it takes. When I met Joni, I was living in Phoenix and she was in Lake Havasu. And like three weeks after I met her, I moved to Lake Havasu. Because I wanted to be with my love. I was passionate about this love that I had for her. I knew that she was the one I wanted to marry and be with for the rest of my life. So I didn't care. I was going to do whatever it took to follow her, to be with her, to go where she was. Because there was a passionate love that was there. And love does that. Love makes us want to follow somebody. When we fall passionately in love with Jesus, we will follow him anywhere. Even to the cross. Anywhere. And so, you know, this is where life changes. When you come into that kind of love relationship, that changes everything. And I will say this, this is the reason why I am concerned about some of you. You may be theologically correct about what you think about love and forgiveness, but you don't have any passion for Jesus. There's no love relationship there. There's no generosity, there's no worship, no service, just like this woman. And so lovingly, I ask this question. Have you really met Jesus? Because when you meet him, he will change everything. That's that transformation process. And man, he, he, he looks at her. He looks at this woman. He looks in her eyes. And I can just see Jesus. He's smiling at her. There's love in his eyes. And he says this simply, your sins are forgiven. That's it. She didn't say anything. This is, again, amazing. Understand this. You're forgiven. Now go out and say the rosary four times. Now go pay penance. Now go join this religion. No, Jesus, there was nothing he added. He said, you're forgiven. That's it. Because there was nothing she could do. Jesus knew he was going to the cross to do it all. Amen. And because Jesus went to the cross to do it all, there is nothing left for you and for me. That's it. And the same thing is true for us today. But he adds this in here. Church, you got to hear this. He who is forgiven little loves little. Have you been forgiven a lot or a little? Eh, you know what? I'm, I'm not so bad. I've seen people do a lot worse. I watched the Dahmer series. <laughs> How about this one? Hey, I'm a good person. And a good person doesn't make you a saved one. He who's forgiven little loves little. In verse 48, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. It's like, look, I forgive you. Go in peace. Get away from these yahoos. Get out of here and go someplace because there's nothing these guys at this table, there's nothing these guys are going to do for you. Get out of here. Go in peace. Find a family of, of, of faith that you can worship with and get in there and you just worship. Amen. Go in peace. Amen. Jesus is just so amazing. And you know what the guys at the table do? They start debating. They, they start going back, because that's what religious people do. They start debating. Well, they don't help people. They just criticize those who are helping people. 
because of the way that they're helping people. And Jesus, I mean, he says this, and they're going, hmm, wait a second, because these guys understood something that sometimes we don't. They knew very well. Whoa, wait, wait. Only God can forgive sin. Let's talk about that. Rather than celebrate the fact that the most sinful person that we know has just gotten her sins forgiven, God has just given her peace, and now she's going to go live a new life. No, let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about the way it happened. And to some degree, church, they're, they're right. They just make a, a wrong turn. Today, uh, psychology will tell you, you need to be able to forgive yourself. And, and others, they need to forgive you, and you need to be able to accept that forgiveness, and you need to be able to forgive them. Which, again, all of that stuff, it, it, there's a truth to that. But the truth is, is that first and foremost, your sin is not against them or with them. First and foremost, your sin is against God. Amen. Psalm 51.4 says, against you only, Lord God, have I sinned. We sin against God. And first and foremost, we need God's forgiveness. Otherwise, nothing else is going to really matter. We need that. If, if, think about this. If all we're doing is trying to forgive ourselves, if all we're trying to do is just, you know, kind of... We're lying to ourselves. It's like the garden. It's the first lie. No, you can be God. You can forgive yourself. You can save yourself. No, you can't. We sin against God, and they knew that, and they're asking, wait a second, how in the world can Jesus forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin. What? Jesus is God. He's God. Do you know that there's no other major religion in the world that the founders, that the leaders of those religions say these two things. I am God and I forgive sin. No other religion in the world, no major religion says that. Nobody does. Abraham, he never said that. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, never said, I am God, I forgive sin. They say, I, they never say that. They say, I'm not God, but I've heard from God. And let me tell you how you can be righteous with God, how you can pay your own debt, how you can come into righteousness with him. Let me give you a list of the do's and don'ts that God gave me. And if you check off enough of them, maybe one day when you stand before God, you will be accepted and you will be righteous. Amen. Do you know what Jesus says? I'm God, you're forgiven, go in peace. That's Jesus. And that church is amazing. It's amazing. See, some of you, some of you, and again, in this culture that we live in, some of you think, well, all religions are the same. And, and all religious teachers really, I mean, they basically all teach the same thing. No, they don't. None other teaches and says, I am God. Jesus does. I forgive sin, and Jesus does. And Jesus go, turns to this woman and says, your faith has saved you. She hasn't said a word with her mouth. Your faith has saved you. We are still today... You, me, we are saved by faith, not by works that any man could boast. And we are saved by faith, grace that comes into our lives from God through his, his carnal life, through his death, and his resurrection. He supplies through that grace for you and for me that by grace we can accept the gift that God has given, that we can receive that gift through the living God, the living King of kings and Lord of lords, the God in whom we have the ability to come to as a brother, but also to know that he is the judge. He is the final line that will speak over our lives and we can come to him and receive this gift by faith, by our personal faith. It's personal. It's not corporate. He's the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He needs to be your personal God Amen. that you receive through your personal faith, which is trust. 
And look, faith in itself is worthless if it's not in the right thing. We can have faith in faith and it not be saving faith. You, you listen, there's a lot of people today that have, they put all their faith in what they believe. You can have all the faith you want in what you believe. That doesn't mean that's saving faith. There's some people who think, you know what? I know people, they're devout, they're religious, they're moral, they're spiritual people. They have great faith. But my question would be, but what is their faith in? What does their faith reside in? Who does this woman have faith in? This example that God gives to you and to me. Who who does she have her faith in? In whom has she placed her faith? Come on, it's in Jesus. Just say that name. It's Jesus. She looks at Jesus. She's consumed with Jesus. She's enthralled. She's drawn to him. She comes to him. She acknowledges her sin to him. She lays out everything that she is before him. She is passionately now worshiping Jesus. And she comes to him with this passion in her life. And she hears from Jesus. I forgive you. That's it. There's no add-on to that. I forgive you. That's it. The object of her faith is Jesus, and so her faith saves her. She's not saved by that, the love. She's saved by faith. Her love was a reflection of the faith that she had. Her passion was a reflection of the love that she had, the faith that she had in Jesus as Savior. So her faith saves her because she was receiving Jesus and his forgiveness. And church, I want that for every one of you. Every one of you that you would receive by faith the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ your Lord. Worship team, come back up. Let Let me just ask you, I was going through this story and thinking, man, are you as glad as I am that she's in the Bible? Come on. I mean, are you glad that she's there? I think this woman, I love her. She's amazing. And I am so glad she's in the Bible because for those of us who may not have lived the greatest life, For those of us who may have some hidden sins that we just really aren't sure could be covered by the blood of Jesus. For those of us who are doing things that, you know what, we really shouldn't be out there doing that. And that sin in our life, you know what, we know it well and others know it sometimes way too well. Your life hasn't been great. Aren't you glad she's in the Bible? This is another reason I'm glad she's in the Bible. Because this woman... She had the courage to walk into a religious meeting like this and to not care what any of the religious people around her thought. And she walked into a meeting like this and she had the faith, she had the courage to walk up to Jesus, to come and to just bow down at his feet and to just go ahead and pour out her heart, not caring about what anybody else thought or anybody else said, just pouring out her heart, just laying it all out, weeping right there. I mean, you know, snot bubbles, everything. Didn't care. Everyone else did. She was the only one that day that left that place forgiven saved she was the only one you know what I I ask that God would give us the courage to respond to Jesus like she did to have the courage to not care what anybody else says what anybody else does and just say you know what Jesus I just need you I just want you I just want to sit at your feet. I just want to lay my burdens down. I just need you, God. I need what it is that you've shown me here. God said it here. And listen, I said it earlier. There are some of you today, some of you right now, that you need to put your name where there isn't one. If you need to weep, then weep. If you need to bow at his feet, then bow at his feet. Don't care what anybody else thinks. 
care about what he thinks. And for those of you that may have that religious spirit, you know, you're just struggling in that place, going, ah, this all sounds too easy. I'm not sure about all that. You know what? I pray today that you would repent of your religious attitude. That you would just repent of the judgmentalism that you may be clouding your mind. Repent. Listen, for the unrighteous and the righteous, so to speak, for the religious and the unreligious, for the safe. Listen, this is the same thing Jesus wants us to take this woman, use her as an example of how we're going to respond to him. And I want, look, I want you, I want us to respond to Jesus today the way she did. You know what? We're going to just bow your heads with for a moment and let me let me just pray for you Lord in the name of Jesus I pray for each and every one that's here God I pray that your word would impart to each one a fresh desire a fresh longing a drawing to you Look, I, I know there's some of you in this place that you've actually been saying, God, do you see me? And Jesus is saying, yes. And I want to use you as an example of how to come to me. God, speak to the hearts of those that need you, that need deliverance, that need grace. Speak to the lives of those who think they don't need grace, who don't need deliverance, who don't need... That God, we would, in whatever state, just come to you. Do what only you can. What only you can. Do it, Jesus. Look, the altar is open for all of those who dare to be like the woman with the alabaster jar of ointment. That's for you.
praying here at the altar. If you still need prayer, would like prayer, we would love to pray with you. For those who have to go, I understand. The church is not over. Church is about to begin. Go be the church. God bless you. Have a beautiful day.